We have focused this Christmas season on parts of the Christmas story that don't often receive as much attention. And today we continue that theme by focusing on the names and titles given to Jesus in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. We have been talking about the uh, promises that God made to Abraham and the promises that God made to David and how those prepare us for and teach us about the significance of the coming of Christ. Matthew begins his gospel by saying this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He wants us to realize and recognize the significance of Jesus being born in the line of Abraham and the line of David and fulfilling the promises that God made to those men. But also in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us about the names of Jesus and some titles given to Jesus that also highlight the significance of the birth of this child, that help us understand who he is and what he came to do and why his arrival is such good news. So join me, if you would, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 18. I'll read into chapter 2 and verse 15, and then we'll talk not only about the story that Matthew tells, but also, again, the names and the titles of Jesus that he tells us along the way. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east and came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Now, Matthew begins this story with a sort of headline in verse 18, where he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. So he sets up for us the fact that he is telling the story of the birth of Jesus, but he also tells us that he is speaking of Jesus Christ. Christ. And the first of the titles and names that we're going to look at in Matthew 1 and 2 is this title, Christ. When we talk about Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title that belongs to Jesus that tells us some significant things about who he is and why so many were stirred up by his arrival. The word Christ is uh, the same word as the or this has the same meaning as the word Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word. Christ is a Greek word. But both of those words, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, both of those words mean anointed one. And both of those words are talking about the single figure from the Old Testament who was promised by God who would come to his people and bring deliverance, bring rescue, bring salvation. So when Matthew calls Jesus the Christ, what he is saying is that Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Jesus is the one who was promised. Jesus is the one that the whole Old Testament has been anticipating The chosen one, the promised one, the anointed one, he has finally arrived. John highlights the significance of this in the first chapter of his gospel when he tells us the story of how some of uh, John the Baptist's disciples began to follow Jesus and the word began to spread about who Jesus was. And John tells us that Andrew, who is the brother of Simon Peter, He says that he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And John explains, which means Christ. So we found the Messiah. We found the promised one. We found the one we've been waiting for. And John tells us this Messiah is the same as the Christ. Again, two different languages, same meaning with these two different words. So when 
Matthew tells us right out of the gate, and he says the same thing in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Messiah. When Matthew tells us that Jesus is the Messiah, he is telling us that with the birth of this child, God's promises have been fulfilled. The hope of the Old Testament has been realized, that God has been faithful and that his people have reason to rejoice. So as we wait for God's promises to come to pass, as we wait with hope for things we do not yet see, let us also wait with confidence because God has kept his promises to send his son, and so we know he will keep his promises to send him again to retrieve his people and to make all things new. So that's the first title. Jesus is the Christ. Now, Matthew begins to tell the story of Jesus' birth, about how Mary and Joseph were betrothed, and betrothal in, in those days was something a little more significant than engagement is for us today, because at that time, uh, uh, the breaking off of a betrothal required a divorce, And this betrothal between Mary and Joseph almost came to that because while Mary and Joseph were betrothed but had not yet come together as husband and wife, Mary was found to be with child. And so it was assumed that Mary had in some way been unfaithful. And so Joseph resolved to divorce her. He wanted to do it quietly. He was a just man. He was a good man. He didn't want to bring any unnecessary public shame upon Mary, but he was resolved to bring an end to their betrothal. But then something happened. As he was considering these things, Matthew says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And that angel spoke to Joseph and told him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, Because the child that was in Mary's womb had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary had not been unfaithful, but God had done a surprising, unique work. And the child in Mary's womb had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't tell us exactly how that happened. Uh, It's it's more or less a, a mystery. We just know that in some way, God intervened, right? by the Holy Spirit, so that the child Mary was carrying was not the son of Joseph, but the son of God in Mary's womb. So um, then in verse 21, the angel tells Joseph what he is to name this child and why. So Joseph is to go ahead and marry Mary, and he is going to... uh, Take this son as though it were his own, as though he were his own. And the angel says in verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here's now the second name or title that we're given for Jesus in these chapters, and that is the name Jesus itself. Have you ever thought about, do you know what the name Jesus means? The angel tells Joseph 
that he's to name this child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Which means that this name Jesus is one of the many names in the Bible that comes with an explanation where the name itself means something or sounds like something that communicates the significance of the person who's bearing that name. For example, in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah. Elijah's name means something like Yahweh is God or my God is Yahweh. The word El means God in Hebrew and Yahweh is God's uh, personal name. When you see the all caps Lord in the Old Testament, that stands for the name Yahweh. And so Elijah, Elijah, that's my God or God is Yahweh. Or take someone like Noah. Noah's name sounds like the Hebrew word for rest. And Noah's father, when he named Noah, said something like, perhaps now the Lord will give us rest from the curse upon the ground. So there are lots of names in the Bible. The, some of the children of Hosea in Hosea chapter 1. Lots of names in the Bible that come with a meaning attached. And Jesus's is no different. But the name Jesus is the Greek version of the name Joshua from the Old Testament. Jesus is, in other words, the same name as Joshua. And the name Joshua means Yahweh saves. So Jesus' name then also means Yahweh saves, God saves. Now, it would be one thing for someone to name, you know, a, a regular child Joshua or Jesus. In fact, Jesus is not the only person in the New Testament who's named Jesus. Paul speaks of one of his co-workers in Colossians 4.11, whose name is Jesus, who he says is called Justice. Probably, you know, he didn't want to be called Jesus anymore because uh, now the name Jesus is almost exclusively associated with Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah. But up until that point, it was not an uncommon name. And other people carried that name. It was a significant name. It was a beautiful name. But with Jesus, the name takes on even more significance because it would be one thing to name a child Jesus. And by that, you just would be saying, God saves, and we are hoping for, trusting in God's salvation. But now when this child, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, is named Jesus, God saves, it means something more, because this child is God in the flesh. Naming him Jesus is not just an expression of hope that God will save somehow, some way, someday. Naming this child Jesus is a way of saying God himself has come to save. And that's why the angel explains that you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. It's not just name him Jesus because God is going to save his people from their sins. Name him Jesus because he, this child who is God in the flesh, will save his people from their sins. 
So the birth of this child, the naming of this child, is the announcement of good news. That God himself has come into the world, has come, become a man, has taken on flesh, so that he might save us from our sins. And if we think we might be overreading that name a little bit, Matthew makes clear that we are not in verses 22 and 23 when he gives us another of the names of Jesus, the name Emmanuel. He says in verse 22 that all of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7.14 when he spoke of a virgin who would conceive and bear a son. And he says, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which Matthew explains for us means God with us. Again, it would be one thing to name a child Emmanuel simply to express the joy at knowing that God dwells with his people or the hope that God would come to dwell with his people in an even more significant and dramatic way. But in this instance, with this child who's conceived by the Spirit, who's not a regular child, but is the Son of God, become the Son of Man. When this child is called Emmanuel, it is not merely expressing the hope that God might come to dwell with us. It is declaring the fact that God has come to dwell with us in the form of this child. God has always, throughout the Scripture, taken the initiative to dwell with His people. It was His plan and purpose to create Adam and Eve and to dwell with them in the Garden of Eden. When they sinned and rebelled against God and were exiled from His presence, it was God who spoke to Moses and said to him, I want the people to build for me a tabernacle, a sanctuary, so that I might dwell in their midst. And it was God who sent His own eternal Son into the world to dwell in our midst. The way John says it in his Gospel in John 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This Son is the eternal Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, come to take on flesh and dwell in our midst as God. He created us. He has sought us. He has sent His Son to dwell with us. And John says that to all who received him, who received this son who came to his own, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. If you receive him, if you trust him, if you turn from your, from your sin and to him, you get adopted into his family. You receive the forgiveness of sins that he purchased on the cross by his death. And secured through His resurrection. This is the good news of Christmas. God has come to save us. God has come to dwell with us. And next, God has come 
to reign. In chapter 2, we are told that this Messiah, this Savior Jesus, this child who is God come to dwell with us, that He is also a king. Matthew continues the story in chapter 2. He says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now notice that Matthew tells us that the coming of the wise men in search of Jesus happened after he was born. They were not present at the birth of Jesus. They came after the birth of Jesus. In fact, they came a considerable time after the birth of Jesus because uh, we're told there that um, Herod ascertained from them, this is later in verse 16, he ascertained uh, from the wise men the time that Jesus had been born. And Herod wanted to get rid of this child who had been born a king. And so he wickedly, ruthlessly, cruelly destroyed all the children in Bethlehem and the surrounding area that were two years old and under. So by the time Herod carried this out, he thought the child was perhaps somewhere around two years old or, per, or perhaps a little less. So some time has passed. The wise men have seen the star announcing the birth of Jesus. And they come to Jerusalem, which is the capital city, right? Where you would think the king would be. They come to Jerusalem and they say, where is he? Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Uh, Herod was not happy to hear that news. Herod was the king, and he was troubled. He didn't want a rival. He didn't want a Messiah. He didn't want another king. And all the people of Jerusalem were troubled along with him, it says. Perhaps they were troubled by the thought of the unrest that might come if Herod thought he had a rival. And so Herod assembled scribes, chief priests, and asked them, Notice it says, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. So they come asking, where is the king who was born? And Herod says, where is the Christ supposed to be born? Because Herod knows that the Christ, the Messiah, promised in the Old Testament, is supposed to be a king. And so he says, where is the Christ supposed to be born, according to the scriptures? And they tell him in verse 5 and 6, that according to the prophet Micah, the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the city of David. The Christ was to be born from David's line. He was supposed to sit on David's throne and reign over Israel forever. The wise men came asking for this king of the Jews. Herod is searching for this king of the Jews for a different reason. The wise men go to Bethlehem. They follow the star. They see Mary and the child. They bring him gifts and they worship him. Herod seeks him out to destroy him. 
But the fact we want to focus on here is that Jesus is a king. He's come to reign. He's brought the kingdom of God. He has come to be not just a savior, but a savior king to whom uh, or from whom all who bow their knee and confess him as Lord receive blessing and peace and redemption and salvation. And one day all who bow their knee to him will also reign with him, the scriptures say. So he's the Christ, he's the Savior, he's God come to dwell with us. He is the King. And then finally, Matthew tells us that he is God's Son. In verse 13, we're told that after the wise men departed, that Joseph had another dream where an angel spoke to him, and the angel warned him and told him to go with the child and with Mary and flee to Egypt and to stay there until he was told to return because Herod was about to seek for the child to destroy him. So Joseph did what the angel said, just as he had done before, and he took the child and his mother and they departed for Egypt and they stayed there until the death of Herod. And Matthew says at the end of verse 15, this was spoken or excuse me, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now that prophecy comes from the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1, and the, the whole verse says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. In other words, Hosea is talking about the exodus from Egypt, That when Israel was a child, in Israel's infancy, when she was barely a nation, just started out as a family of about 70 people who went into Egypt and then God caused them to increase and multiply. And then he brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. So he says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, why does God call Israel his son? Well, Israel was his son. In Exodus 4, God tells Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So God calls Israel his son, his firstborn son. And what did he do with his son? He redeemed his son from slavery in Egypt, brought him out, brought him through the wilderness where he tested Israel and Israel failed, right? Where he sustained them with manna, but they grumbled against him. And they did not trust him and go into the promised land like they were supposed to. And so an entire generation just about fell in the wilderness before the next generation was brought into the promised land. And now God says, that word about out of Egypt I called my son, that has been fulfilled in Jesus. How? Jesus, of course, is also 
God's Son. That's the main point here, that Jesus is the Son of God. We could have picked that up in some way from the fact that he was conceived, again, not by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit, that this child is from God and is God, God's Son. But Matthew spells it out for us here through this prophecy, out of Egypt I called my son. And he also is telling us that Jesus is fulfilling or filling out the pattern of Israel's life, but Jesus is now doing it faithfully, whereas Israel failed. Think about it like this. Israel went down into Egypt, then God brought them out of Egypt, they passed through the Red Sea, which Paul compares to a baptism in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. They went into the wilderness where they were tested, but sinned and rebelled against God and failed. What is now happening to Jesus? Jesus is taken down into Egypt. Then God brings him out of Egypt. And what's one of the next things we're told by Matthew that happens after Jesus comes out of Egypt? He goes down into the water of the Jordan River and he's baptized. And when he's baptized, God speaks from heaven in Matthew 3.17 and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then after Jesus passes through the water, as it were, he too goes into the wilderness in Matthew 4. And in the wilderness, he is not just tested, but tempted by the devil. And what does Jesus do? Jesus succeeds where Israel failed. Jesus trusts the Lord, puts his confidence in the word of God, and resists every temptation that Satan throws at him. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is faithful. Jesus succeeds where Israel failed, and he succeeds on Israel's behalf and on our behalf. Jesus is the sinless Son, the Savior from sin, the promised Messiah, God Himself in the flesh, who has come to reign as a Savior King, the Savior King for all who put their trust in Him. Hallelujah. What a Savior and what a reason to celebrate this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your great gift of sending your son Jesus for us. Pray God that this gift would bring us joy as we remember what you have done for us, what Christ has accomplished for us as we fix our eyes upon him and remember who he is and what he has accomplished on our behalf, what you have given us through him by grace, through faith. God, let this light shine in our hearts and shine through us into a dark and needy world. We pray that you would bring your blessing to more and more people through your Son this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.